Ah, oh, that was a good one. Wow. That was that, that was a great that, crack. We need some like ASMR of that. <laughs> True. <laughs> I don't think the blue snowball is the way to go for that, but uh but yeah, that is <laughs> that was undeniably a great crack. Podcast. Mm-mm. This is ASMR. I hate everything. Welcome back to the Packy Run Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, Sheila's blokes. What up? People what up? Who don't identify. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Uh, this is a new one. We're doing. We're doing a little bit of a new format, and we're recording midday, which is something we never a little do. Bit weird. Yeah, this never happens. We usually do in the evening hours. Um, yeah, it's a different feel. Uh, this episode, we're talking about. Patriots home opener, and also um, we're talking about the Menzingers album, The Impossible Past. But true, true, true. But before we do that, as we do every single episode, we uh, discuss what we are drinking for our beverage because this is, is the Packy Run. <laughs> for you, it's two thirty. It Packy Run. It's two thirty in the afternoon right now. For me, it's three thirty. Um, it's I'm, I'm I'm about to crack open the last Gansett from the six pack that I started uh, during last week's episode. So that's my uh, <laughs> that's my beverage again this week. And so you've kept me you've kept me in suspense now for like fifteen minutes. What are <laughs> what's your beverage of choice? Okay, um, for this midday recording session. So I am not drinking beer. Uh, instead, I am drinking coffee. Um, kind of like a normal person. Um, oh, true, true, true. I know where this is going. <laughs> the only difference is I actually roasted my own coffee beans. Um, and it's, I did, I, I, this is my second time roasting. First one didn't turn out well because I just don't think I, I think I added too much to my roasting device and it just didn't have an even roast and I didn't do it long enough. This one came out perfect. Um, that's real. And you're probably thinking at home, like, wow, roasting coffee, isn't that like, how do you even do that? So the way that you do that is you need green coffee beans and you can buy them on the internet. They're pretty cheap. Um, I bought actually this great website called Sweet Maria's and they sell green coffee beans, but they also sell a roaster that you can buy with it. The roasting device that I have is actually an old school popcorn maker. You can buy it for 20 bucks and also for, as an add-on, you can add four pounds of unroasted coffee beans with it. So I would suggest uh, if you are interested in learning how to home brew or home, home roast some coffee, um, that's your best bet. 20 bucks is not that bad to start getting into it. They also post a lot of really good tutorial videos to go with it. And how to awesome. go about it. So I'd be really interested in doing that and making my own espresso beans. Mm, that'd be interesting. Um, so drinking coffee, I did this um, pour over style. Um, I have a scale, so I weighed weighed like how much coffee beans I needed, and like I did a very. So I have like <laughs> I have like a twenty minute coffee routine now. You don't understand. Yeah, that make, it, that makes a good cup of coffee, and when you're doing the whole thing. 
uh, like soup to nuts. That's pretty sick. Yeah. So it's it's very fulfilling to do. Um, it's it's like the new. Uh, is that the now that we're in this late stage, or not? We're not even sure if it's late, but we're in this new stage of COVID. Everybody was making bread at the beginning. Uh, everybody should start roasting their own coffee uh, at this point. <laughs> Enough of my coffee talk. Let's talk about Patriots um, this past Sunday. Uh, Cam Newton's first look in a Patriots uniform. Good game. Good, good game. Yeah. It was... Uh, did you get to watch it live? I I watched it live. Um, my stream kept cutting in and out. Like, for whatever, like, those, like, illegal stream sites are, like, they're always sometimes the worst yeah it depends on it depends on which ones you're using and none of the ones that i normally use were available well you, so they shut down nfl streams reddit i know like <laughs> I, so I like that was like the first thing that popped up um i was like damn it then i almost considered like getting youtube tv like but i was like ah, i shouldn't like 60 dollars yeah, a I don't month wanna... that is a lot of money <laughs> for one to just to watch like live football yeah that's not it's not worth it yeah that that was i was like ah i i no i can't i should have yep (laughs) it's not happening i I can't um but no it was a it was a good team win i mean cam cam looked looked good he looked healthy he was making plays um obviously you didn't see any like you didn't see any real long balls or anything but he, when he threw it, he looked pretty good. Um, Julian Edelman was a workhorse, which was kind of nice to see him still, you know, doing what Jules does. Yeah. And then he dropped a few watching, passes from what I remember, but which it's also the beginning of the year. And yeah, we also have and to. When you're the main target. We, we also have to cut everyone a little bit of slack because this is, there's no preseason. This is like the first game, first action of like real football. Yeah. Um, so like, like there was like a couple of mistakes here and there. Like I remember um, there was like that fumbled that they almost lost on that punt return to kill Harry yeah, with his was, uh, fumble yeah. and touchback. Um, and the only the only real slip up on Cam's part was a literal slip. Did you see him just like, he went running off to his right and then went to turn around over his left shoulder and just fell flat on his ass of his own accord. <laughs> I did see that. Um, there were some moments when he was doing like the read option and it was, you can tell they were a little off sync. There was some points in the game that like it's like okay he you can definitely tell he's kind of new yep he's the new guy yeah but he looked you know on the whole he looked really good um you know it's hard to tell because on the one hand yeah we were we were pretty dominant for the entire game on the other hand we were playing the dolphins we were playing (laughs) the dolphins next week is going to be a challenge facing the seahawks Next week is going to be big. That's going to be a really big barometer of like where this team actually is in terms of like professional football. Because yeah, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll's Seahawks are not to be fucked around with. They're they're a good team. They're they're very solid. Um, I thought like Cam Newton. It was. <laughs> I, like the moment he scored the first touchdown, I was I was like losing myself because I was just like, oh my god, 
that would never happen with Tom Brady. Like Tom, we're used to Tom Brady running in for touchdowns, for example, but it's always yeah. like the QB sneaks. Yeah. Like or like his first, and that was his first his first touchdown in a Buccaneers uniform was that exact thing where his his quote unquote rush was a yard two. It's pretty much maybe. something any of us could do. Yeah, he has the right coverage and he just it's pokes his way through. And love Tom Brady, but like it's the most non-athletic play every time, every single time. <laughs> you just have to lean yeah. forward. Any and any time and get like a push. Uh, and anytime anytime he runs he just looks like a gazelle out there and it's like man like not i don't i don't know what his top speed or anything is but like i'm not a super athletic guy and even i would just like visually look better running a football than tom brady does yeah one of the things i loved um and i read like an article after the game um the second touchdown cam rushed for he gave the uh gave the ball to david andrews and david andrews like uh spiked it yeah and somebody was like oh why'd you give the ball to david andrews like celebrate and he was like he's in the same position as me like they're both coming back from like major injuries trying to come back and like they're kind of in the same and so like i thought that was like really a really cool thing um and a really cool team building moment right there especially after like two to three years of boston sports media just constantly being like is is this the end is this the end of the brady belichick dynasty what's gonna happen what's tom brady feeling what's tom brady thinking he yelled at josh mcdaniels and like it was all tom brady all the time yeah and for us now to get to the point where it's like now this is like it really, it really feels like, obviously, Cam Newton's a star. He's like the big kind of unknown factor in our offense and everything else. But it feels like a team. And it was also really cool watching, like, watching the stream. Um, they were pumping in, they were pumping in, like, artificial crowd noise. But the... You know, we were wrong uh, about our crews. prediction there with the um, no Bon Jovi and no, like, uh, thunder, I know. no music playing being played. <laughs> We were wrong about that prediction. It's unacceptable. <laughs> but it was cool. It was cool without all the without all the actual crowd noise and without the music and everything else. Every time the cameras were actually on the players, like you could hear them. So it was really cool to hear like Cam laughing when he got it. Like he got that second touchdown and he was clearly stoked. And then he like he, not only could you see him like gesticulating and being like, go ahead, spike it, spike it. But you could literally hear him saying that to David Andrews, like, yeah, spike it, spike it, do it. It's yours. That's like that is like that's one of the coolest things to me or um, one of my favorite moments from that game, particularly. So, yeah, <laughs> I think that uh, I think that exhausts. I think that exhausts week one in the NFL. I'm glad to have games back. I had a lot of fun watching the Patriots this week. There was I'm, I'm stoked. Yeah, it's good to have uh, football back. Um, we'll see how this season goes. Hopefully it continues. Hopefully um, the beer virus doesn't strike. And um, I hope Tom Brady does well because like, he's one of my favorite players of all time. But also he's on my fantasy football team. So for my sake <laughs> and for my... Just, just so I can win some money, I hope he does well. I respect that. I respect the hustle. You know, uh, gotta, gotta make, uh, gotta make my $50 back somehow. (laughs) Hopefully. Well, hopefully I, I triple it or whatever. And if you don't, at least you can sell some coffee. 
yeah, I can sell coffee. I can sell my my baseball cards or whatever else that I I have I have that I've gotten into this quarantine. All right. So moving on from uh, moving on from the NFL and the sports talk, we are also a music podcast, and we had this idea a while ago, and we're finally going to act on it. We want to ask the question: Does it hold up? About I'm sure that we'll do more than a few albums this week. We're doing on the impossible past which yes. is the third studio album by the American punk rock band, The Menzingers. From Scranton. From Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, it was released eight years ago. Eight years ago in February. Yes. Um, what about by released Epitaph, on Epitaph Records. Records? Yeah. And uh, yeah, according to Metacritic, which... I only ever see Metacritic pop up as a reference on Wikipedia articles. I've never actually been to the site, and I don't think Did I want to. Did you look at the Wikipedia been... article, too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I literally have that in my notes. <laughs> yup. <laughs> um, but it's got an average score of uh, 93 out of 100, which is, I'd say, pretty insane for, like, us, especially at the time when this came out. They were like a scrappy DIY punk band. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I mean, they, I'm pretty sure this was their first release for Epitaph, too. So I think so. They were, um, this was they produced were by Matt Allison, who also did albums for Lawrence Arms, Echoline Trio, Less Than Jake, and also helped produce uh, Chamberlain Waits, uh, which was the album previously that they released which just got a uh which just got a 10-year like repress for um the record store day people did like a really cool kind of like quarantine version of record store day Mm -hmm. um so they kind of spread out the releases a little bit more over the course of the year and made it like a little bit of an event for you know trying to spread it out so certain releases come out at a certain time so not everybody is gathering at their local record store and you know waiting in lines and hunting things down the way that they would for normal record store days that makes sense i mean is it so they redid so they repressed this album not on the impossible past they repressed uh chamberlain waits because it was the 10-year anniversary of that album got Um, it that makes sense but two years from now if they do something to celebrate 10 years of on the impossible past there's a 10 i'm not sure i don't really buy into the whole 10-year tour kind of thing the big nostalgia tours uh, are they always kind of just strike me as money grabs but but for this album i would not be i would not be mad about it i think it would be a uh i think it would be justified because this is this is still for most people like the high watermark of the menzingers catalog yeah I, i mean i was reading a vice article about the Menzingers. Um, this was when they put out their 2017 record um, after the party. And one of the things that it was saying in the article was how basically like they, this is on the impossible passes, like their best record yet, but like it still didn't capture every single um, person still. And I think that's kind of a, I think that is kind of a symptom of the fact that they were not like the Menzingers in the year 2020, are not the same Enzingers that released this album in 2012. Like now they're pretty big. They're touring in buses. They have like as they're far as like the greater band. 
they're very well established but they're like a they are a it's a cult following which is to be expected from like a band signed to epitaph that you know does their style of music in this day and age like of course they are like they are cult following band but they've got a solid following and i think a lot of that came as a result of this album absolutely it's it's a good foundation and i mean looking at the accolades or accolades for this record i mean absolute punk their staff in 2020 or 2012 today's 2020 uh, this yeah. has been released in 2012 number one rank um frontier psychiatrist top 50 albums of 2012 26th best under the radar releases from metacritic this was came in number two punk news that was number one. Spotnik Music, 25. Um, there's a couple other ones. Rock Sound, this was like the best rock album of that year. Krang, is that how you pronounce it? Krang? They're like that year. Krang, yeah. Um, this was number 13. They're like the top 101 albums of the year. Um, so like it has some good accolades that go with it. It was a very highly rated album of that year. And really rightly so. This was the first time, so there's a lot of like, in a lot of reviews and people that have interviewed the band and stuff like that, there's a lot of references to like, oh, you guys are like the punk rock Bruce Springsteen band. Mm. And this is the, this is the first album where that really is like a, like that, that kind of comparison absolutely holds up because I think the big thing with this album is lyrical content. Because from a production side of things, it's gritty. It's very, um, it's well done, but it does it. It sounds like it was recorded in 2011. I was like, I was it's, one of the things that I I like was listening to this a couple times today, and one of my biggest takeaways from listening is it could really use a remaster. Yeah, um, there are some parts in this record where especially the bass. The bass is very hidden. It's, you can't, it's not detectable at all. Um, sometimes like the, the guitars, when the vocals are playing at the same time, uh, the guitars are just not quite there. Like, I, I don't know how to describe it. I'm not a sound engineer, but you are. And I don't know if you can speak to that and like agree with my like kind of assessment there. Yeah, it's, it's on the impossible past from like an engineering standpoint is like the best case scenario for a more DIY leaning recording. Like I'm sure that they were using, I know that they were in a professional studio when they were recording this with Matt Allison. I know that they were using professional gear and stuff like that. Absolutely. Probably but it's, it's a punk band in a professional recording studio with like surrounded by DIY guys and just trying to put together like the best possible songs that they can. So there's a lot of kind of inconsistencies with the mixing. There are parts where, yeah, the guitars are drowning out other instruments. The drums don't always sound, you know, it's not, it wasn't, it's not a, it's not a commercially produced record. Absolutely not. In the way that you would expect from. It's not a Green Day like, album for sure. Yeah. It's not a Green Day album. It's not, which is which is awesome but it's part of the reason why it's like such a cult classic as opposed to just a stone cold like everybody knows and everybody loves this record like do i see this album do i see any of the singles from this album being played on like classic rock radio ever probably not but like 
it's the best case scenario for a DIY leaning band where it's like there's a lot of great production value, but it's just inconsistent throughout the entire thing, which welcome to being a welcome to being a punk rock band. Yeah. In like in the 2000s, like um, guitar based music is not in the zeitgeist and stuff. There aren't, you know, there aren't million dollar recording budgets to have perfect mixes and perfect masters and everything else. So it's part it like the criticisms are the criticisms of like a production side of this album are perfectly like that's perfectly fine. Right. And a lot of them are really well placed criticisms, but it's also, you know, what do you what do you what do you want? Right. And I mean, like I was trying to because I, I, I was trying to look at this album as objectively as I can, um, because I do love this record. It's one of my favorite records. But I, I was like, what are some of the criticism that I have for it? And that I think it could really use a remaster. That is like my one. I'm like, this needs to be like some some things just need yeah. to be tweaked here and there. And then I would probably get it on vinyl. Yeah. Well, and it's one of the it is one of the cool things is that like. It, it's the way that it is right now, the way that the album exists, made for vinyl. It's got those nice little dynamics. It's, you know, it's not slammed the entire time. Uh, when you listen to it, if you like cherry pick songs and put them in playlists and stuff like that, like it's going to be a, it really doesn't matter what songs you put on either end of, like, let's just say you picked out Burn After Writing yeah. and put that in a playlist when burn after writing comes after a certain song or a certain song comes after burn after writing you're gonna know like there's going to be a there's going to be a very distinct shift um between those other songs which is part of what endears it to so many people is that it it sounds you hear one of these songs and immediately you're like yep this is this is on the impossible past but yeah in like a in a modern context and stuff like that i i don't think you're wrong i think I think yeah, a little a little remix remaster might uh, might go a long way towards kind of reintroducing some people to this album. Yes, um, one of my other big takeaways from this album is there. I think the reason why this album is so good, it's not just lyrically why it's good. I think lyrically has been already like it's overstated. Everyone like says it in every single review. Everyone, every fan says that in every single review or like every assessment of this record. I think why this record is so good is how they structure their songs. And the way that they structure their songs is very similar to how a pop artist structures their music. And I don't know if you would like... I think that, like, just based on some of the songs, for example, very repetitive chorus that you can sing along to that is very much like any other, like, pop song from today or from the past. I mean, like, pop songs are always going to be, like a very repetitive kind of stuck in your head. Like you kind of hum along to it. You get the melody stuck in your head. Um, They write like a, like a pop star or like a pop, like someone who writes pop music. I mean, and they are a pop punk band. Yeah. They have that. Like you mentioned, you mentioned it earlier. Like they do have, they do have a couple of similarities with like a green day kind of thing where, yeah, they're writing, they're writing pop songs. Um, I think in some cases they really do hit that mark of like pop song structure, but then there are other times like, um, say like Mexican guitars or Ava house 
where and the band has said this in interviews and stuff like that where like this was before they really honed in on that pop songwriting kind of thing because you got a lot more of that on uh the next album that they put out in 2014 rented world or on um the next album after that after the party their latest album hello exile like there's a lot of really truly like verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus end like that's really when they kind of perfected that pop songwriting um ability as far as the band is concerned whereas on the impossible past chamberlain waits um what was the album before chamberlain waits a lesson in the abuse of information technology which is which reads like a fucking fallout boy song yeah that does um (laughs) they uh like on the on these earlier albums there are some songs where it's the they call it a full song but it's really just kind of like an idea yeah like it's not quite finished it's just you know they 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 created a whole two and a half three minute song based on an idea rather than you know writing a full kind of song um i think a really good example of that kind of thing is uh the song casey yeah i was just thinking about that which is one of it's one of the best songs on the record by far but it's also very apparent and once you uh they've taught the band have talked about it in a couple of interviews and stuff like that but it's very apparent once you actually know what's going on the chorus is actually it was actually written by one of their friends and it was just an acoustic song that their friend would play that he had wrote and they used they used a part of that song as the chorus for Casey and that once you hear them say that it becomes very apparent when you're listening to the song that you're like oh this is a like the rest of this song was basically built around this idea for the chorus mm. like it doesn't it doesn't feel like one cohesive thing you can very much tell and it's cool because they do kind of play with the they play with the method of songwriting a little bit there's a verse and then there's a second verse before they get to the chorus right and then after the first chorus it's right into a bridge and then the final chorus but you can tell that you know they had a couple of other ideas kind of sitting around and then once they figured out that they could use their friend's song for the chorus like that's when it kind of came together so it feels a little bit more pieced together than a full like the song after the party off of the album after the party right that's a that's a coherent front to back that is the idea for the song as opposed to some of the songs on this album where you do kind of get that feeling of like oh they introduced this piece here or they tweaked this thing and you can kind of hear the individual ideas as opposed to one uniform um song i guess Okay, that is. I would. I would agree with that. Um, let's go into the track listing for this album because we mentioned some of these names, but like, um, there's 13 songs on this record. Um, starting off with "Good Things" um, as an opener, I would. They kill it with openers uh, as far as like their albums go. Um, they really do. They have a really. They always have a good opener um that like they really know how to start an album um i'm sorry and i think this is a great like i think it really speaks to how good this is as an album opener considering the fact that they 
they use this song to open their sets a lot um and i mean it's it's pretty simple so many like the sing a lot the big sing-along part for everybody is just repeating the words why all good things should fall apart just which is again like what i mentioned earlier very pop very pop but it's a big and and it's cool that they restrain themselves because it would have been really easy for any other band to write this like if they wrote this exact song there would just be gang vocals when they repeat why all good things should fall apart or at the end when they say so all good things should fall apart right it would be really easy to just do that with gang vocals and instead it's just um greg barnett's voice yeah and it's very shouty very loud very in your face like it's very easy to sing along to it's not there's nothing worse than sing along parts that are like hard to follow but like just one line like why do all good things just fall apart boom that's like that's the line right there and the way that it's like it's very simple the first verse is just i've been having a i've been having a horrible time pulling myself together been closing my eyes to find the old familiar failures and then the end of that verse and the entirety of the second verse is just i've been having a horrible time pulling myself together and then the third the third verse it's really only just three parts in the song the last part is actually kind of it's not a callback because it's the opening but it's almost a little bit of like a preview of what's to come in the album where it's like when we would take rides in your american muscle car i felt american for once in my life Mm. i never felt it again yeah like call like calling ahead like there's more thing there's more things down the road here like it's a really great way to just introduce like they've got great songwriting chops they've got great melodies but it's you know they're kind of pulling the punch a little bit it doesn't it doesn't just hop right in and get to the wordy storytelling kind of thing you're like you're it's like dipping your your toe in like the pool before you like just like cannonball yourself into this record exactly it's a really great way to just kind of be like here's a little bit of what we're capable of doing but like keep listening you really want to yeah you really you really want to it's built for a live audience it's really just that like you're gonna watch all the kids that know just screaming along to these like two or three parts in the song and like it's really just gonna kind of just rope you in a little bit bring you into it a little bit and then it all just kind of then they really just kind of throw you straight into the pool with burn after writing which is i think probably my favorite song that the band has ever written Mm, okay it's it's really like from an instrumental standpoint it's really smartly played it's really just a great it's got a couple of really great guitar little riffs in it it's got one little solo-y part that's very nirvana in the way that the quote-unquote solo is basically just one of the vocal melodies they have a lot of that in this album um personally i think those solos are a little cheesy for me but sometimes they work um and it's like yeah it's been done before like they're not kind of they're not kind of breaking the mold or whatever but this is where this is one of the big menzinger songs where it's like if you if you look into the lyrics and if it hits you at like the right time in your life you're you're hooked you're you're done yeah and uh i I like the transition oh sorry (laughs) oh i was i was just gonna say like it's you start getting a little bit of like literary references and stuff like that like 
it's not just another punk band releasing a punk album on epitaph it's like really smart like little references to um like old russian authors and stuff like that while also just kind of doing that bruce springsteen thing where you're painting a picture of like here's the setting like i'm putting you into scranton pennsylvania (laughs) like as a 20 something year old like street urchin punk dude that like fell in love with a girl like it does a really good job of setting that kind of scene true it does um and they do that throughout this record especially the next song which is obituaries where you're living it's kind of paints that picture of living in kind of a dumpy town like scranton um never been there but you know it paints that it's well known (laughs) it paints that picture of being kind of like a dumpy area um, one of the lines that really stuck with me is maybe I'm not dying. I'm just living in decaying cities. And that's kind of the thing that I think endears this song and this album to so many people is that like, even just like the, the opening line, we stumbled and stared at the carnival lights that lit up New York city from a rooftop in Brooklyn that was covered in bad graffiti. Like that's like immediately, you know, exactly where, you know, exactly where kind of the narrator is. Yeah, but it does a really good job of just being like that. It doesn't have to be New York City. It doesn't have to be Brooklyn. It's that line about like decaying cities and stuff like that. Like we spent four straight years in New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah, they definition of decaying cities. They do that great. Like remember back in the day when you're in like you're in like elementary school and you're just learning about English and your elementary school teacher is like teaching you about like similes or metaphors and like that kind of thing show not tell they do a really good job of showing it not telling you straightforward what it is yeah they have that little bit of like poetry kind of thing going on you know the uh which i mean you kind of need that when you're writing songs yeah but you need that like you need that in very specific ways where it can be left up to interpretation and that's why people get so invested in it like as soon as you're as soon as you're just spilling too much, that people stop caring because they know. Yeah. And as soon as it gets too hyper specific, you know, if you if you do know exactly what's going on, like that's cool. Like we grew, we've both grown up in and around so many different bands, and you know, it's a cliche in pop punk and punk music of like I'm gonna list the street names or or like this. I'm going. This to, town I'm, sucks and. Like, but they're gonna make, but you make like specific references to specific things in your town or whatever, which is fine and it's cool for the people that are in the know, but it's better to paint with a broad brush in those kind of things, which the Menzingers do really well. We're like, yeah, this could be hyper specific to Scranton or to Philadelphia or to New York City or Boston, wherever, but they're like that's kind of the setting for the narrator themselves but it's really easy to just like interpolate that as where you are they do the exact opposite of it was there was like this new england band or massachusetts band called transit and they put out an album called young new england very (laughs) which there are we might have to do an episode on that very record oh we can yeah Um, that would be a good one 
because there are a lot. I mean, it's cool if you're in the know and you're cool if you're from New England and you're from the Massachusetts area. But ultimately, that record fell flat for a lot of transit fans because no one... Why would someone in the middle of California, like San Francisco, California, care about New England, care about Maine Summers or like Lynn, the city of sin? They don't get those references. Yeah. No, you wouldn't nope, expect them uh, to. No. And that kind of theme also continues on in the uh, in the next song on the album Gates um, during the first verse talks about getting drunk around back of the Lions Club waiting for the shitty bands to finish up like it it's almost it's like a vfw hall kind of cliche that you get from a lot of diy punk bands and stuff that play at the lions club or the vfw or the knights of columbus or like some church basement exactly but the way that it's presented is just like every kid that's ever been involved with alternative music knows like they don't know the specific scene that the narrator is painting they have their own experience doing that same thing and instead of conjuring up specific like that specific lions club that he's referring to you're uh, you you the listener start sitting back and going like oh yeah like watching the kids like sneak vodka into their vitamin water outside of the shitty bar or the knights of columbus club yeah or whatever which like, we've all seen that <laughs> <laughs> we've all seen it and or been a part of it that's it's it's punk rock music it's how it goes yeah, especially like that pretty much describes mid 2000s to like late like 2010s like i remember going to vfw shows and like hanging out like one of yeah. the first the first time we ever hung out we went to a vfw hall show true weymouth knights of columbus yeah what a time that was a sick show <laughs> for what i was there for yeah <laughs> but uh <laughs> But yeah, so Gates does kind of the same thing, and then it moves on to Ava House, which is almost the exact opposite of what we've been talking about. Like, it's a song about a very specific punk house that they all used to play at, some of the members of the band lived in, and stuff like that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was what this song was about. Yeah, the so the, the name of the place was Ava House, which is really kind of which makes for a kind of cool dichotomy because the first line is like ava are you trying to get high i hope the floor holds this time we'll dance in subtle romance together while we're making our time like so immediately anybody who doesn't know is going to sit there and be like well what's up with this ava character yeah and then it does kind of it changes kind of your perspective on the album or not the album but it changes your perspective on the song when you realize that it's more of like a rallying cry yeah. which again just t- like it's speaking to a very it's speaking to a very specific kind of group of people that have like grown up going to house shows and spend their time like watching bands play in basements or in like shitty apartments and things like that you're you know it's a it's a rallying cry for people which is really a kind of cool way it's a, it's a cool kind of change to sit there and because i remember first hearing the song and thinking oh man like we've got ava we've got casey uh later on in the menzinger's discography you have anna yeah and so many other like female characters and then you realize oh they're talking about a house here yeah which is 
Like, um, I like the repetitiveness of this song. Um, I mean, it's one of it's it's you said it wasn't pop writing. I would disagree with it with how it's like a little bit structured here. Yeah, I think this one this one is a little bit less like it starts off with the chorus, like the the lines I just read. Like that's technically the chorus, but yeah. it's not like it's not quite as apparent. But it's got that really awesome, just like tribal driving drum beat, which is man it's yeah it's a it, it, what a great song yeah there are so many of these there are so many of these songs on this album that have just become like staples of the band's live show too i have i haven't seen this band yet live um i've wanted to but i'm sure they do they still play at ava house they do yeah and people still go nuts for it because it's that big sing-alongy kind of chorus part it definitely is. Oh my god, this is so cool. So I have the lyrics up on genius.com. It says in a Reddit AMA, Tom May, one of the vocalists for the band, said that Ava is their good friend Danielle's dog. So the house venue was named after the dog that was at the house. And now I'm thinking about a couple of the houses that we used to go to in Connecticut. And I'm wondering oh, why yeah. that one god awful place wasn't called Ellie's house. You're what? I'm wondering. I'm wondering why they didn't call. You, do you remember that terrible, terrible house that we went to? We saw like some screamo bands, and I think Mandels played an REM like Halloween set there. But they had yeah. a dog, and the dog's name was Ellie. I do remember Ellie, and I do remember that oh. that that house they venue. They called that place Ellie's house. Was it called Ellie's house? It should have been. That would have been a sick name. Yeah, I would have gone there more often. That was a weird. That was a weird time. That I'm not gonna. Mandel's wasn't weird. <laughs> Playing in Mandel's wasn't weird, but um, that venue was pretty weird. Um, but we're not gonna get into that. We're still getting into the Menzingers here. True. Um, so after Ava House got sun hotel um one of my favorite lines from this record um is and i'm pretty sure this corner of the world is the loneliest corner in the whole world i bars bars yep bars maybe it's me or the bartender this budweiser or the other customers it's uh oh man yeah it there's something again it's one of the cool things about this band is listening to them and going like they're speaking and they're they're painting with a really broad brush but like you know exactly the only reference to this being like the setting of this song being in a bar is the fact is that line like maybe it's me or the bartender this budweiser or the other customers but like yeah even if you didn't necessarily hear that line you know just ba- like just based on kind of the mood of the song and everything it's like yeah this is this is a song that was written to transport you back to every fucking dive bar you've ever been to in your life. Yeah, which I mean, I love dive bars, um, but sometimes they are like the saddest place on the whole world. It like it just it it immediately conjures up that like anybody who's spent any time in dive bars knows the exact feeling of like you sit down on your shitty bar stool and you get your PBR or whatever the fuck you're drinking that night and like they put it down and the bar is never dry. Yeah. It's always just a little bit wet. And sticky. And like, yeah, and the gloss is never quite laid down totally evenly and stuff. Like, there's something about listening to Sun Hotel where yeah. you, like, 
there's something about the way that song is written and played where you you get right back to like whatever dive bar you've been to yeah and like the the floor is like nice and sticky with like yeah there's always a always a stray cigarette butt somewhere even in the places where you can't smoke yeah always like it doesn't matter even like like massachusetts or brooklyn like they're always it's always like like something in like the urinal like a leaf blown in the wind yeah <laughs> like there's always just the one cigarette butt that has somehow managed to make its way in <laughs> somehow some way <laughs> exactly uh and that brings us to uh that brings us to vandals sculptors and vandals sculptors and vandals which i i like the song i thought the ending of the first verse was a little clumsy with how it was um written lyrically yeah this is one of those this is one of those songs where it feels like they're dealing they're like just kind of throwing parts at the wall you know it's like um, it's not quite as consistent as like some the of the very heavy end of like that album. verse just doesn't what it just it it it's not quite as like well put together as some of the as some of the heavy hitters on the album. I would agree. It's it's like I'm trying to look up the lyrics now. Like I I made it a note in my when I was like listening to this album a couple times. Ba, 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 ba. Um, one of my notes is like the structure is great and a great upbeat song, but I think it needs to be remastered. And I think a lot of the songs in the second half of this record, I I make that same note. Like everything just needs to be remastered. We worked in some sort of like capacity. Um, not rewritten. I think although this song is like it's good, it's just not. Yeah, it's a little bit clumsy in some of like the the presentation of it. Yeah, but the the last line is repeated four times and it's a really it is it's like even when this band kind of swings and misses like they don't miss entirely the last line is repeated four times it's walk home single seeing double yeah which like i'm not sure i'm not sure you've really had this experience because you're going on what five years in your relationship Mm -hmm. but like being single and like going out to the bar just to go out and then having a couple too many and walking home walking home single seeing double like that is there are very specific sensory memories that come up i'm sure for a lot of people myself included where you hear that and you're like oh yeah like i know i know what that i know that feeling yeah i i can't unfortunately i can't relate (laughs) well actually probably not unfortunate probably like fortunately i have i can't relate I was going to say, what a charmed life you lead, Dan. Yeah, you know, I'm so privileged, man. <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. Uh, but I need that last line right there. It, I remember when it... How does it go? Like, it, it goes... So, like, they say, like, one... They, they start one part of the sentence and then finish it in, like, a different way. And, like, that, for whatever reason, kind of annoyed me a lot. You know what I'm talking about. I think so, Yeah. Is it when they repeat the these days you'll find me where the nectar's plenty, looks are cheap and the talk is heavy? Uh, that the no, last then one, we fell asleep, I think. That's what the line maybe. It was like part of the Oh the first. yeah, you said you said you wanted to be interesting and then you fell asleep. Yeah. Said we wanted to be interesting and then we fell asleep. So yeah, sculptors and vandals. Solid breakup song. Yeah. Or just like single and sad song. Yeah. Single, sad, drinking in a bar. Um, and then we... I feel attacked. 
And then we get to Mexican guitars. Mexican guitars, which is such a cool idea for a song. It's not one of my favorites on the album, but I really like. I like the idea. The idea. Um, like it, it's, it just brings me back to being a teenager and like, I literally have like a Mexican jazz bass, like Fender jazz bass. Yep. Um, and like that idea of having the cheap guitars that you always, like you always start out on the cheap guitars and a lot of times the only, like the only instruments you can afford are the, the like foreign made ones and things like that. And using that as like a metaphor for um, like old friendships and things like that is really kind of cool. Yeah, like it kind of brought me back to hanging out, kind of like jamming with my friends back in like high school or like middle school or whatever, and playing literally our Mexican guitars. Exactly. And references to like the bad tattoos of all the bands you loved in high school, the ones you said that I had to listen to all the time. Because we all knew somebody in high school that was like, yo bro you have to listen to this band and like kept giving you like like bands to listen to and you just were like oh man this is so sick so cool and then by the time like now you're like 24 25 and you're like yeah i'm not into that band anymore but i have that shitty tattoo it was always the guy with the black flag tattoos really they all they always had the bars somewhere i always wanted the black flag bars but i never i've (laughs) Thank God I didn't get them. Um, kids at home or just anyone in general, don't get band tattoos because they're usually a bad idea. It's true. They will break your heart. Just like every time. Just like we break your heart. <laughs> every week on Thursday mornings, breaking your heart. Heartbreaker city. Breaking breaking hearts with the packy run. <laughs> uh, and then we got on the impossible pass the um the name of the record um which at first list like my first initial listen to this i put it as a filler song i was like this this is a filler song blah blah, blah. like i was like writing all these notes and then by the time the end of the song hits it's like um one of the lines that they say is we always dreamt of having nice things having nice things um, and then it smooth transition into the very next song, which coincidentally is called Nice Things. Yeah. So the the song on The Impossible Past is just kind of like an interlude kind of thing. Yeah. And it does. It's interesting because it serves the purpose of like an intro track. Like it's it's short and it's sweet and it kind of just like touches on the lyrical themes of the entire album. Yeah. Like it tells its own little short self-contained story of like, here's what you're getting into. But they put it like three quarters of the way through the album and it at like it serves us kind of a nice transition in that way. But you're right. Like, it's not my favorite song that the band has ever done. And it does kind of feel just like an unfinished idea. I mean, it's 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 a transition song. It's not. I thought it was filler, and like I was like, oh, "Come on, guys! Like, really, a filler song?" Like, I was like, I forgot about that song. To be honest with you, yeah. like I've listened to this record a lot, um, but now that like I was like reading the lyrics and I was like listening to it, and I'm like, "Oh, okay." It's more of a let's we're transitioning, and I think it transitions very nicely to the next song. Yeah, and the next song, "Nice Things," is like classic like more of a classic punk rock kind of thing which is really it's one of the high marks of the album i think um like even just the opening verse the western wall is a jumbo screen at the gate there's an automated teller machine 
Sir, empty your pockets, please, before you file through. The king and queen foreclosed on their crowns. The joker laughed and made his rounds. He was drunk, carrying on self-satisfied. It's it's such like a classic like punk rock band looking at like Western capitalism and feeling like lost and a little bit angry at how that tends to like screw with the youth. Yeah. And that's like so the theme of the theme of the song is really cool and it like it's kind of where the band shows that like, hey, we're not just some like catchy upstart emo band here, like we can also play we can also play with like the punk guys. Yeah, which they can. Um one of the things I took away from this was like it kind of describes these nice things that a normal person would want. Um in any other circumstance, like um like don't you think like gold is good? Don't you want to be rich? Don't you wanna like dreams? Dreaming their dreams. Um, has your name become known and desired? Like, kind of like, are you famous at this point? Like, isn't that like a nice thing that you would want that to happen? Yeah, I love that line. Is your gold so strangely acquired? Like, that idea, that like very definitively American idea of like individualism. Mm-hmm. And in like, sometimes that kind of manifests itself in people wanting to make it seem like, well, I was able to make my money. I was able to, you know, live my American dream in such a unique way. And like, aren't I so cool? And it's funny. It's a it's a funny kind of turn of phrase there because the people that I think a lot of the people that do that, yeah, are like they they do it in the most boring way, but they try to hype themselves up. Like it's the it's like the stockbroker, like Wall Street bro who's always sitting back and being like, look at how much money I have. Look at how much of a baller I am. It's like, well, what what did you do to earn that money? Like, how did you how did you earn your gold? Oh, you're a stockbroker. Cool. Right. Exactly. And kind of what they say, like, like they say this twice, like, do you want nice things? Sure you do. You call nice things your own. Yeah, I like the way even in the even in the lyric booklet or do you in the cd and the vinyl and everything do you want to feel safe is wanting these good things like safe at the end of the day yeah i like how that's i like how so many of the lines in this song are questions like not outright like you're wrong or fuck yous so much of it is just like really it's like questioning like the morality and like is this actually like a good thing that you're kind of in a sense like screwing over these people that have no control like yeah do you feel good about it like are you are you do you feel good being famous but also screwing over your best friend or something like that at the very end which they yeah. don't say that so outright a- but like it's an up to like that kind of interpretation of it yeah and it's never and again it's all like it's all questions which is one of the cool kind of it's one of the cool ways that they deal with that kind of topic where it's not it's not like it's not the traditional in your face punk rock just like fuck you i don't need your lifestyle or whatever it's like questioning it's seeking to understand of like do you want do you really want all the shit that you've like gathered to make yourself feel good and look good and everything else like do you really want that yeah it's a it's a questioning kind of thing as opposed to just an outright like dismissal which i think is a really interesting way to attack that kind of um criticism in a punk rock song 
I think it's one of the stronger tracks on this record for that kind of reasoning. And followed by what most people think is the strongest track on the record. Mm, that's not my favorite song on this record, though. We haven't even touched my favorite song on this record. Really? Yeah. Because I think I think Casey is... It might be tied for my favorite song on the record. Casey is... It's the very, like... This is where the hyper-specifics kind of come in it's less of the painting with a broad brush and more of like a like it's a it's a movie condensed into like a three minute song it kind of is like the idea and they've done this more than a couple of times and it's almost always in their like relationship centric songs but they do a really good job of just like you can see in your mind's eye like the movie that they're trying to produce with these songs just like like every every line of this song like really does paint a really nice picture even if the structure of the song kind of like we touched on earlier feels a little bit pieced together like the actual narrative here is what really kind of sets it over the edge yeah i also love the fact that they mention one of my favorite activities which is uh drunk washing dishes (laughs) drunk dishes and drunk laundry yeah the dan mayotte novel (laughs) yeah which i mean uh Maybe they came up with it. Maybe they created it. Yeah, I mean, and and I have searched forever and ever to try and find the original version of this song that uh, Dan Zizeski wrote um, that the Menzingers used as the chorus. I've tried to find the original and I just can't, which is such a bummer. But yeah, the chorus, me and Casey, me and Casey, we used to get drunk before we did the dishes every evening. Me and Casey, we used to get high and listen to our boredom because it was so much easier than dealing with everything. Like, just this side of deadbeat, millennial sadness, living with your girlfriend yeah. and dealing like with your better demons. Yeah. Like, you like can, it's easier you can write, to just... What? It's, it's, easier to, it's easier to just, you know, drown out the sorrows, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's that, uh, that about summarizes it. <laughs> Yeah, which it paints such a sad picture, but it's like the actual execution is it's got a couple of faults, but the actual execution is done so well that, man, it's a hit. It definitely is. Um, it's it's one of my favorite songs on this record, for sure. And it leads into I Can't Seem to Tell, the second to last song, which is my favorite song on this record. Do tell. I, I just I love the bounciness of it. It's a very bouncy song. And I, I can't get enough of those bouncy riffs. Um, the bass is not lost in the mix. Um, it's lost when it's when the guitars come in every single time. But I like the little... But it has its place. It has its place. And like my thing about every single record, bass plays a key role into whether an album makes... Whether it makes it a good album or a great album. This is a... Spoken like a true bass player. <laughs> no, well, like it's true though. Like I agree. I think it's I think bass is makes a huge difference in whether a song is good or like whether a album is good or not. To me, because and we'll probably go into our raking system or raking how we would rate this album in twenty twenty at the end. Yeah. But like I wouldn't call this a great album. It's a good album. But I love this song because you can finally hear the bass. To me, it's the most balanced song out of the whole record. Lyrically, lyrically, as well as structure, mix, riffs, and also like repetitiveness. I think it has a good mix of it all. I think it's the most ba- like uh, the balanced. And I love the uh, 
I love the recurring theme in Menzinger's songs of just like semi-intoxicated millennial sadness. I the, I, I I love that. Like, um, <laughs> remember the days when I had a conscience? Yeah, me me neither. <laughs> like, I think that to me, I think that's so funny. Yeah, it's it's so like it. And it's delivered in such like that deadpan way too. It's like it's got that like it's got that millennial like trying so hard not to care that you end up showing that you care. Yeah. Or just the I can't seem to tell if it's my head or the earth that's spinning around. I I think it's a great which. Oh. Again, the the like sensory memories, and I'm sure I'm sure at some point. I'm sure at some point we'll get to maybe another Menzinger's album because they've got a couple of them where like I hear these songs and I'm immediately just like there's hyper specific moments that I'm brought right back to. Yeah, it like puts um, you it's like, oh, crap. Like, I remember like like there are yeah. that, those moments with me as, as well, like especially like some of these records. I'm like, oh, crap. Like that brings me back to that moment in time. Yeah, the I can't seem to tell if it's my head or the earth that's spinning around. It's just like anybody's. Anybody who's ever had more than a bit too much to drink knows. Yeah. Like, you know that exact feeling when you're lying in bed and you're just like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And it just sucks. But I, and I mean, like, it's just about drinking, like drinking and, and like trying to self-loathing in a way. <laughs> drinking and self-loathing, but drinking and self-loathing while you're like thinking. Yeah. Like drink, drinking and self-loathing as a reaction to things going on in your life and the world and things like that. And I think that's why the Menzingers get away with using those kind of themes so many times is because it's not a, it's not a celebration of that overindulgence. It's like a, it's realizing that it kind of comes with the territory sometimes. Yeah. Like it's a really smart way that they go about it, which is, I think what endears them to so many people. And then finally, we have Freedom Bridge. Which is probably, the opening verse is probably the best example of like, oh, they're doing that like Bruce Springsteen, every man, like working class, painting a picture while talking about, you know. I feel like this is the Painting a picture while one, talking about characters. I feel like it's the one song that doesn't fit with the rest of the album at all. I would, I would agree with that. It doesn't, it doesn't really fit the rest of the album as a whole, but it's a really good like it's it serves as a really nice mile marker it's like being at the end of the album and being able to see that like okay lyrically this band has some other avenues that they're going to go down in the future but because because it would if they like if they rewrote a couple of parts and re-recorded this song they could have put it on either of their last two albums yeah but in the context of on the impossible past it does kind of feel like a weird outlier at the end like if you if you had heard this song at the end of the album in 2012 without any guarantee that there were going to be more Menzingers albums, it would feel a little bit out of place. I I guess yeah I would agree with that. Um, it makes more sense now listening to it in 2020. But like and also like I didn't listen to this album in 2012. Um, but if I was yeah. listening to it in 2012, I'd be like that that song just doesn't fit. But I still don't think it like fits necessarily. Yeah. They also, it also touches on a little bit more of that like political kind of bent with that second verse, like specialist Jag, a much more honest man than you, came back from the desert where he never found the truth. Now he screeches tires, fills his head with alcohol, and the morbid brown faces hang like portraits on the wall. Like, mm. there's a very specific kind of 
it's just presented as storytelling, but it also reads as kind of critical of like a veteran kind of situation. It's an it's an interesting kind of a uh, it's an interesting kind of vignette to put in the middle of this song. Yeah, it does, and like they have like all sorts of they have like different stories that are kind of like that. Like McTiernan was a good old boy. He cheated and he skimmed a favor for a favor. It ain't he, it can't be called a sin. I may see it different, and some might s- don't see it. Some don't see at all. Paper start calling. He closed his eyes and took a fall, which yeah, I think is a, like a what? It's a like it's not my it's not my favorite song on the album by a long shot, but I do really like kind of. Just hitting those different perspectives and again like you can see the movie that they're trying to create in your head right of like the different people that are all kind of in the same area they're all living in the same town and stuff but you get those different kind of you get those different kind of perspectives yeah you definitely see that a little bit um i don't know like the song i could take or leave like i think 12 songs i mean this is the 13th song on it i think probably they could have done without it yeah they could have done i i agree they probably could have done without it um put it out on like an extended release maybe yeah treat it as like a bonus track kind of deal but then you would have been dealing with what like a 37 minute album so i feel like i I understand why it's there but yeah it it definitely it definitely doesn't feel it doesn't feel like it has the same energy as the 12 songs before it it doesn't feel like part of that kind of cohesive unit but i do really i like it on its own merits but in the context of the album it's uh, you could take it or leave it all right rating this album from one to ten one being the worst and being the best how would you rate this album i think it's easy for me it's probably a nine and a half you know it's not it's not perfect but it's pretty close there's just a couple of there's a couple of things from some of the production things some of the actual like structure of the songs and stuff like that where if it had been if it had been tweaked a little um it really would have been it's a masterpiece in the context of the menzingers and in their particular like brand of music but absolutely as far as like as far as all of music is concerned yeah there's a couple of things that hold it back from being maybe as like widespread as it might have been able to be especially if you took this album the way that it is and released it 20 years earlier, if this album had come out in like 1993, mm-hmm. it would have been just insane how big it would have been. I would agree with that. I mean, I mean, at that point, nobody had seen kind of like Bruce Springsteen and punk kind of come together. I mean, we saw it with like the Gaslight Anthem. They were like kind of, and I'm sure the Gaslight Anthem are not the first band to do it, but they were like kind of the first band that kind of was like, what if we took punk music and Bruce Springsteen and brought it together? Yeah. And the Menzingers are kind of like, they... They're like, okay, what if we take Gaslight Anthem, but have more shouty and punky parts to it? Yeah, what if we were, what if we were better as a, what if we did that formula, but we were better as a punk band than like aiming for radio? Right. And that's, that's why, that's why this album has had the success that it's had, because it's not, you know, there's no part of this that ever comes across as like cloying. Like they're never they're never trying to reach like the big radio audience there. It's very it's very honest and like 
forthright in what it is it feels which is cool very authentic and it doesn't feel like they're trying to because i feel like with a lot of punk bands they're trying to fit into this bubble and they don't they're like talking about all these things but they're they don't really know what it's like to actually be in a dirty basement going to like basement shows they don't know like going to like a bar and like like being rejected by that girl they don't know about that stuff but yet they still write about those themes in it like you could tell the menzingers definitely know have experience with those sort of like experiences and can present them in a great way yeah so yeah my my answer to that would be probably nine nine and a half out of ten for sure um okay i mean i i gotta knock it off a few points um i'm gonna give it an 8.5 solid that's fair solid score here um i think there were just some parts of like production that just like i was like i can't deal with that there were like a couple songs here and there that like i could like take or leave yeah um i do think and like there is a good quote about this record i think it was from absolute punk um where somebody described it as this album has no expiration date and i would agree with that i think it is a timeless punk record but i i there's a couple things i have like like eh, but it is a good record yeah, and that's one of the, the that's one of those things is that it's just like everything is a product of its time so like i think absolutely i'm timeless timeless is a perfect timeless is a perfect and also the worst way to describe it because yeah, this could have come out, you know, this could have come out in the early '90s or the early 2000s, or it could have come out today or in 2012 when it came out. Like it works, it works in a lot of different time periods, but also like part of the reason why it's regarded so well is because you know this sounds like a band that just got signed to Epitaph in yeah. 2012. And it's not it's not dated. There's definitely a lot of yeah. punk bands out there, like especially from 2012. That's like you could listen to that album back and be like, "That's dated." This doesn't yeah. sound dated to me. This could be this could be released like this could be released today, and I would be like, "Oh, sick! This is awesome! Like, good record." Yeah. Um, but 8.5. So, like, does it hold up? I think we can unanimously definitely. say yes. It does hold up after further analyzing and looking into this record yeah and i think that was we lobbed ourselves a little bit of a softball for this one for sure but it was a nice way to test out what the format would look like and stuff and um i like it yeah we should continue doing this. we will continue doing this um don't know what record we should do next week but um maybe we'll come up with a list of five that we potentially want to and uh we have like a twitter poll or instagram poll for you guys to uh pick yeah. out and help us with hit us on social medias at packy run pod on instagram and twitter yes um do you want to do some recommendations this week or we've been recording for like was it like two hours at this point yeah um we can do some quick recommendations um i got mine mine is pretty mine is pretty simple um Casey Neistat, big YouTuber. He used to have a daily vlog um, that he did for, I think it was like 600 episodes straight yeah, every day. Um, and then he stopped doing the vlog for a while. He's done some one-off videos and things like that, but he is back to kind of doing the daily vlog thing. So to celebrate, I started uh, the vlog from the beginning and 
kind of similar to what we were talking about with the Menzingers. I really appreciate things that are authentic when it's people's, like when it's your own voice and it really comes across as just like you are doing a thing that you love to do. Um, and that's very much the vibe that you get from Casey Neistat, where it's just, he just does like little eight minute day in the life kind of videos um, while he was starting companies and riding motorized skateboards through New York City and stuff. And, you know, it's everything. I had this thought last night as I was watching it, like Casey's vlog is what reality TV like really could have been. Mm. Like, I think there was a moment in time in like the late 90s, early 2000s where like you could have had like full length television episodes of something like this if we had had the technology and it could have been it could have been huge and it would have been i think a a lot better for the culture as a whole to have something like that on cable tv than you know most of the reality shows that are the farthest thing from reality yeah that's fair so big on casey neistat go follow him on youtube i'm sure a lot of you already do uh but if you haven't checked it out now's now's a good time big youtuber i i love casey neistat he always uh has a lot of good videos out there in the world true um my recommendation i mentioned it earlier um sweet maria's uh coffee um check it out uh 20 bucks to roast your own coffee beans so you're interested and have some time on your hands um look into doing that and we know you do (laughs) i mean you probably do i mean like it takes no time at all that's awesome I might, I might have to try that. <laughs> I might, I might have to try roasting my own beans. Dude, it's fun. All right. Well, I think that's this week's episode of the Packy Run. It's gonna be, gonna be a long one, even once I uh, whittle it down. But this has been good. Yeah, it's a I'm long like, boy. I'm liking. Yeah, I like the, uh, I like the does it hold up kind of bent. So thank you to Mike Daly and Bart Devin from the Daily Screening who I completely and totally stole this idea from. <laughs> well, I, I, I suggested it as well. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yeah. But calling it Does It Hold Up absolutely came from them, and we're just, you know, we're gunning for them. It's Everybody's got a podcast now, so we got to be able, we got to have a little bit of competition. we got to thin out the herd. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Which I'm sure if Bart ever hears this, he'll have some smart-ass comment about that. <laughs> Hey, remember, guys, uh, I just want to make sure that if they hear, he picked Nomar for his Mount Rushmore. I don't need the heat, Dan. That's a meme on this 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 podcast. <sighs> when did I become the meme one? I don't know, but uh, we will be back next week. Uh, make sure to follow us on Pacuron Pod on Twitter and Instagram, um, and also participate in our poll or our upcoming what we're going to do next week for does it hold up sure we'll talk to you guys next week take it easy bye-bye oh that wrong space bar